Because in reality, religion in many respects is the opposite of grace. Religion teaches you have to have merit. Religion teaches you have to have performance. Religion teaches you have to jump through hoops. While grace teaches us that there's nothing you can do but receive. And so we're going through Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And today, let me just read to you the passage. I have some that I'm going to read and then some I'll put up there because it's a little bit longer a passage, okay? Uh, here's basically what happens here at the beginning here, just kind of give you an idea. Paul is beginning to answer specific attacks made against him by false teachers called Judaizers. They're attacking the gospel, and they're attacking his position of authority as an apostle. So let's go through. Paul, accepted by the apostles. That's kind of the idea behind it we're trying to get to, right? And here's what Paul says. Then after 14 years, this is 14 years after God saved him. If you guys remember last week, we talked about how powerful Paul's story was about his story of redemption and I shared with you that you underestimate your own story of redemption and I begged you and I asked you please tell me why you believe tell me what God has done for you because in reality people can argue about the gospel all they want but what they can't argue about is the power of its ability to transform hearts and lives so that's on the tail of that and here's what Paul says after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, and I went up because of a revelation that set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So here's what Paul is saying. 14 years after God saved me, I've had a ministry, I've gone and preached to you, I've preached in many other places, I've started churches, and I wanted to go back to Jerusalem with my good friend Barnabas, who's been along with me in a lot of these travels, these journeys. I went back to Jerusalem to check in to make sure that I was doing things the correct way. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel could be preserved for you. Hear that phrase? So that the truth of the gospel could be preserved for you. And here's what Paul is saying. I worked very hard to make sure that those dogs... Those, here's what he calls them, those dogs, those evildoers, those disgusting pigs who are preaching a false gospel, 
I wanted to make sure that we stood against them at every turn. Why? Because I wanted to preserve the gospel, the original message for you. I did not want it to be adulterated. <clears throat> Give me an example <clears throat> before I read the next part of the passage. There was a song that I heard on the radio the other day that, you know, that I wanted to buy, you know, for my, you know, my MP3 player. So when I ride my bike, you know, I can listen to it. And I go on to Amazon Music and I, and I buy the song. Okay, I'm going to be honest. It was Thunder by ACDC because I was excited about the lightning before they lost. And so I wanted to listen to Thunder by ACDC. So I go on Amazon.com and I buy Thunder and I put my headphones on and I'm getting ready to ride my, and listen to this song, you know, with the awesome guitar and, and get fired up because it was a game that night. And it was a remix. It was by some other artist. He had a terrible voice. The guitar was awful. It was just, I was so, even the album artwork was ridiculous. I was so angry. I can't believe somebody passed off this song for the original. Paul was saying, I'm not going to allow any remixes. So look what he says here. And from those who seem to be influential, I love Paul. Paul is so like in your face. What they were to me makes no difference. God shows, I don't care who they were. I don't care. And those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. I don't care how powerful they were in Jewish circles. I don't care who they think they were. I don't care how powerful they are, how dangerous they are, how much money they have. I don't really care. They don't do anything for me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised or to Gentiles like us, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, to the circumcised worked also through me for mine and the Gentiles, just as Peter and I had been used. And when James and Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me. The right hand of fellowship means this. They made us equals. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So in other words, they made sure that we, we were all equals. My job was to preach to you people who don't know the, Jew, the Jewish law. And their job was to preach to those who do. Only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing that I was eager to do. Powerful passage. So basically, I'm going to boil this down for you guys. Remember how we go through passages, right? To break it down, to make sure it's easy to digest because there's a lot in these passages in Galatians. And for you to get the full information, we have to break it down in three ways, right? Historical application. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it, right? There's a theological application. What about God? What did he do why did he do it? And the third application is devotional. What about me? What do I do? Why do I do it? So let's break down the historical. There are two basic attacks against Paul. <clears throat> the first one is Paul isn't an apostle, but he answers to the apostles. Do you understand that Galatian, you know, that Galatian Judaizers, Judaizers that would go into this area in Galatia... They were trying to attack Paul's apostolic authority. They were saying, Paul wasn't really, Paul isn't really who he says he is. Yes, he was sent by the original apostles, but not Jesus 
himself. So when you listen to Paul, take everything he has with a grain of salt. And the other part of the problem is that, that they're saying that Paul received the gospel from the apostles. Jesus gave it to the apostles who are preaching to the Jewish people. The apostles gave it to Paul. In reality, that's not true. What Paul says in the first chapter is, I got the gospel directly from Jesus when he appeared to me on the road to Damascus. Here's what's interesting about Paul. He never, he never sought the approval of the believers in Jerusalem. He wanted to seek unity with them, but not approval. He didn't go to them and say, is it okay if I preach this gospel? No, he went to them and said, look, this is the gospel Jesus gave to me. Is it the same one he gave to you? It is? Great. We're good. Paul says, I don't care how influential the people are. They're not going to do anything for me. I'm not changing my mind. He was a stubborn preacher. He explains he went 14 years after his conversion to make clear that Jesus gave him the same gospel as Jesus gave to the original apostles. Paul explains that they compared notes and they realized, you know what? Everything is exactly the same. And so the first attack is that Paul is not really an apostle. You can't trust what he says. He's taking the gospel that Jesus gave the apostles and he's kind of perverting it. The second attack was that you need Jesus and Moses. Here's what I mean by that. The second attack that the Judaizers were launching was, yes, you need to trust Jesus, but you also need to keep the laws. And you had to worship in the temple. You need Jesus and you need Moses. Paul is wrong. Jesus is not enough. See, guys, Judaizers were a problem everywhere Paul went. They would often secretly journey to Galatia. Did you know that? They would, they would take secret trips when Paul wasn't there. They would never go when Paul was there. They would go when he left. And they would preach this false theology. You know what? This is a typical strategy of heretics today. They try to go and impose their bad theology in roundabout ways. Sometimes they pick fake issues they don't really care about just so they can get a foot into denominations and churches and things like that so they can twist and distort truth. Heretics very rarely are courageous. And these heretics had a desire to impose Mosaic law upon Gentile Christians. Many of them went to the regions to actually circumcise Gentiles who believed in the gospel. These are Gentiles who all their life had nothing to do with the temple. God saves them and these Judaizers go and say, hey, now that you're saved, we need to circumcise you. Just in case you're not aware, that's a very traumatic event as an adult. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are we adults here? Can I explain that to you? That's traumatic. And if you don't know what it is, pick up your phone right now and Google it. I don't want to describe it right now. All right, did I make you uncomfortable enough with that? Good. Paul stood resolute on the gospel of grace that he received directly from Jesus. 
And as a matter of fact, later on, after Paul wrote this epistle to the Galatians, there was something called the Jerusalem Council that took place about 50 A.D., when all the apostles, including Paul, and all the church leaders gathered together to deal with the problem of Judaizers in another city, in Antioch. And they all resolved in the Jerusalem Council, the gospel is Jesus alone. So there's a historical record that shows that the gospel of Jesus from the apostles, which included Paul, said you don't need Moses, you just need Jesus. And many attempts were made to pollute the gospel that the early church fathers were all in, a, in agreement and in line with these are false, these are wrong, these are straight from the pit of hell. So that's the historical aspect of what's going on here. There's a battle for the heart and soul of the message of what the gospel truly is. People wanting to add to it. People wanting to have their own agendas. Can I ask you a question? What would be the agenda for Judaizers to make Gentiles temple worshipers? I mean, besides maybe there's some who are, you know, passionate about tradition. What else? The temple was a big moneymaker. Can you imagine if we can tap into this Gentile cash? I mean, those guys know how to make money too. So that's the historical. Let's look at the theological application of this passage. The authority of Jesus and his gospel. I want you to understand a few things. This is important. There were extraordinary efforts that Jesus went through to make sure his gospel was historically and theologically verifiable. He spoke, he spent three Years with the apostles teaching them the gospel, making sure they understood it. In and out, front and back, they knew it. And that wasn't just enough. He came back and talked to Paul, who was, by the way, a murderous guy who wanted to kill the church. And Jesus said, here's the gospel. I'm saving you, and I'm setting you aside for my purpose. He went through a lot of difficulty. I mean, think about it. If Jesus were not really concerned about the gospel message, he just could have come, died, and went home. But he was here for three years, teaching us dumb humans to make sure we understood grace, mercy, forgiveness. The other thing we see theologically is there is unity in the early church because Christ was working in both Paul and in Peter. Christ worked in the hearts of Paul and Peter, all the other apostles, there was unity for that reason and that reason only because the mouth and the words of Jesus were spoken and it was set in stone and everybody that ever knew Jesus knew it. And the other thing that happens theologically, what God does, is he somehow, and guys, this is where I'm going to park, this is a miraculous part about the gospel. Somehow, Jesus makes the gospel universal and timeless in its appeal and effectiveness. I mean, for some reason, it's like designer jeans that never go out of style. I mean, God designed it to be applicable to all men, everywhere, anytime, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of means, regardless of region, regardless of language, regardless of culture, or regardless of any point in history where they lived. Look back behind you. The gospel has been effective everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is now, it's advancing, and people are being impacted by the same message that is 20 centuries old. 
The gospel has transformed men and women of all ages for centuries across the globe. Its diverse impact is fascinating. I mean, think about it. No other religion has had such an amazing cross-cultural impact. No other message has been able to have such an amazing global impact. Yes, there are some theologies that kind of here and there, but for the most part, a lot of religions are kind of regionally based. The gospel is globally based. So that's the theological aspect of what God and Jesus have done. Now let's talk about us. Let's talk about you devotionally. No matter what is said and done, the gospel never changes. First thought, when others attempt to attack the authority of the gospel in the scriptures, we see this all the time. It plays out in denominational fights. It plays out in the media. It plays out in, in, in corporate America. It plays out in secular America. The message of Christianity, the gospel of grace and hope and peace, is constantly under attack. There have been governments that tried to wipe it out. There are governments today that have outlawed it. It is constantly under attack. Like, for example, here's a way this all roads lead to God eventually. That's very appealing, isn't it? Maybe for some. Look, Jesus is a God. God is a God of love. All roads lead to God. Wait a minute. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Another way, you must work to keep connected to the Father. There's a lot of theologies out there that say, yes, God saves, but now you better keep yourself in line or you will lose grace. But our righteousness is as filthy rags, isn't it? There are some theologies out there that say, yes, God can save you, but then you have to have some manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You have to be able to heal or you have to speak in tongues. You got to, wait a minute. When God saves you, the Spirit comes upon you in full. And now I have to hope and pray that I do some other outside activity? Guys, the gospel remains exclusive in its truth. It gives no other room for other ways or other truths or other lives. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus taught he was that way. He was that truth. He was that life. And no man could experience connection to heavenly dad except through a relationship with him and his work on the cross. No other gospel will offer grace or peace or connection to the Father than the one that Jesus gave to the apostles, including Paul. What's the next thing? <clears throat> Here's one that we're responsible for, right? When we give in to the temptation to try to adjust the gospel to make it more relevant, to make it more acceptable, to make it more effective. Guys, let me tell you something right now. The gospel doesn't have an expiration date. You don't got to check the label. Oh, this expires in June 2015. I may not always be hip and cool, like I am today, but the gospel is hip. The gospel is cool. The gospel isn't outdated. 
You know why? Because grace is never out of style. The gospel doesn't need to be adjusted to make it more palatable or more marketable in today's society. The gospels of the apostles and Paul is the same gospel that we preach at the garden and at Church of the Palms and it will remain that way. The gospel doesn't need to be modernized to include all different types of cultures. The gospel is immune to culture. The gospel doesn't need modernized to make room for other messages. You know how I know that? Because I've witnessed it. The gospel continues to save those whom God has chosen regardless of what society, countries, culture want to say about it. Regardless. It doesn't need to be changed, people. It is what it is. It is the power. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul again. You know, when I first started the Nightlife Center, and we were getting all different types of kids, many times kids that I'd never really had an opportunity, types of kids I never had an opportunity to reach, I was tempted. Do I soft pedal this? Do I change it up a little bit? I mean, yes, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, but do I steer clear of that and maybe talk about ethics and morals? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. It took me about three days to decide, no. If it implodes because I'm preaching the gospel, so be it. Seven years later, here it is. Not because of me, because the gospel is relevant. The last one. When our own nature that doubts if the gospel is really all we need and we are tempted to add to it via our own traditions, our own prejudices, our own personal agendas. Or maybe we try to add to it our denominative distinctives. There is no need for searching for deeper meaning. There's no need for searching for a passion for ritual purity. There's no magic in music. There's no magic in a building. There's no magic in liturgy. There's no magic in pews or chairs. There's no magic in whether or not we have a church bulletin. There's no magic in the coffee. There's no magic in the donuts, except they'll make you fatter. There is no need to add anything to gospel. The gospel has the power and the authority to give you all the grace you need now, you'll need in the future. You'll never need any more than what the message of the gospel gives us. Guys, many cults and world religions and counter-religions have often tried to adjust their orthodoxy and their core message because they weren't effective anymore. You know how many times Jehovah's Witnesses have changed their theology? You know how many times? At least 50. The Mormons have changed their theology many times. 
Islam has changed its theology. They have to. Because it loses effectiveness. But here's what we can tell you, devotionally, we can have great confidence in the gospel that saved you because of its historical references, its ability to be traced back to its genesis, which is Jesus, and its nearly 20-century track record of being immune to attacks and its ability to be effective across ages and borders. And when it comes to the gospel, we can have the same zealousness, the same passion, and the same commitment and confidence that Paul had. Because as I just said, the gospel that saves has been the same for 20 centuries. And no, how, no, no matter how others may attack it, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what music is hot or what clothes are cool, no matter what leader is in charge of our country or Russia, no matter what ISIS is doing, no matter what's going on, Republican, Democrat, the European community, whatever's going on, it doesn't matter. Leaders will come and go. Economic systems will come and go. But we can know now what Paul knew then, no matter what happens in this world, come war, even Paul said this, I am persuaded neither death, nor light, nor height, nor depth, nor width, nor anything under creation can separate me from the love of Jesus. No matter what, it will always be the gospel, the way that God distributes grace and mercy to those who believe. And what Paul does in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, it says, let me make it very clear to you right now, Galatians, they're liars. This gospel that I'm preaching came straight from Jesus. I'm giving you the proof. The apostles that they say that they love so much have verified. We've compared our notes. It's the same message, and it will be forever. Guys, listen. As your pastor, trust me when I tell you, you do not need to worry about the gospel changing. It saved you, it will continue to save you, and it will save others. It doesn't need adjustments. It doesn't need any more verification. It is what it is, and some things will never change. We're going to